0: Today's global consumers clear in their demand for safe, affordable and sustainable protein to continue to meet these rising expectations requires both leadership and collaboration with food chain stakeholders, academia and the veterinary community. Animal health is pleased to amplify the voices of leaders throughout the protein supply chain here on this podcast, caring for animals and creating trust in
1: food. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Jane Dukes and I'll be hosting today's conversation on a trending topic, consumers and their desire for transparency from the food chain. Consumers want more information than ever before about how the food they eat makes its way to their plates and never have they been further removed from the farm. Sustainability, nutrition, food safety, animal welfare and labeling are all things consumers want to know more about and the transparency they are looking for around food and food production Is evolving quickly. The food system from farm to fork is working to meet consumer expectations, but that can be a bit of a moving target. As we all know, everything comes at a cost, and research shows conflicting information on the willingness of consumers to pay more for products, for example, sustainable products that include specific label claims. A study by Greenprint, a company that works to help businesses become more sustainable, found last year that 64% of U.S. consumers say they are willing to pay more for sustainable products although most, 74%, don't know how to identify them. Conversely, the 2022 Food and Health Survey by the International Food Information Council found that only 11% would be highly likely to select the higher-priced, socially sustainable product. This demonstrates that price is still king when it comes to consumer purchases. I'm pleased to welcome my guest today. Cheryl Auger is an ethnographer and cultural anthropologist and the Director of Client Success for MotiveBase. And Jim Lanier is the Senior Manager of Animal Welfare and Market Quality Assurance for H-E-B Grocery. If you live in Texas, you probably shop there. Together, we're going to dig into this complex topic of consumers and transparency. Cheryl and Jim, welcome. Thanks. It's great to be here.
2: Thank you. Yes, absolutely. It's great to be here.
1: All right, so let's get started. Cheryl, Motive Base is a team of digital anthropologists that use online conversations to track trending topics, Could you share with our listeners what a digital anthropologist is, and how does your team conduct their digital ethnography, and why is that helpful? Absolutely, and I I know
0: it sounds so exciting to do digital anthropology, and what it ultimately means is we have an AI anthropology tool. We also have a team of PhD anthropologists who use our tool to conduct our research, At its heart, our AI tool uses natural language processing along with AI to sample a really large number of consumers. We get that nice big sample size, um, which is a little different than traditional ethnography. And what we're doing is we're looking at conversations that consumers are having online, regardless of if we were observing them or not. And we're looking at their conversations in order to identify what something means, what a topic, a trend, an issue, something like today's topic, transparency, what does it mean to consumers? How are those meanings evolving or changing? And what does this mean for our business? Every month, we scrape up to 20 million data points in the US in order to identify both the explicit and the implicit meanings that consumers associate with a topic or a trend. Now, why is this helpful? It's helpful not only because we can answer what is happening in culture, but our goal is really to get to the why. Why are we seeing things take place or shifts take place in culture? Why are things important to consumers or not, as the case may be? And furthermore, we're using, as I said, online conversations that consumers are having anyway in order to get that unadulterated consumer perspective. So we know Sometimes when we ask consumers questions, they give us answers that are socially desirable. And so here we get that unadulterated, that true perspective without fear of reprisal. And I should mention, we're a little bit different than your social media listening tools. In fact, we're not looking at traditional social media. Instead, we're looking anywhere and everywhere. Consumers are having long-form conversations There's no character limit. Also, their conversations are text based. We're looking at sources where consumers are anonymous or can use a pseudonym so they can tell it like it really is, as I said, without that fear of reprisal.
1: So, Cheryl, that's really interesting that the goal is to get to the why, because of course, that's what we're trying to do as well. And we certainly want to dig in a little bit to why consumers might give answers that are socially desirable and why they might not be giving us answers that perhaps reflect what they truly feel. So thank you, Cheryl. Jim, you are AGB's Senior Manager of Animal Welfare and Market Quality Assurance. That sounds like a big job. Tell us a little bit about your time at AGB and what you do on the day-to-day.
2: It's really two roles. Regarding animal welfare as a component of our sustainability efforts, I work with different departments across the company to ensure that all animals in our supply chain are properly cared for. We actually establish partnerships with our vendors industry groups, and actual producers to develop and monitor our standards and more accurately, our expectations. On the QA side, it's a very similar approach. Some people say it's a HACCP approach. We actually stay in constant communication with our vendors and our very knowledgeable procurement team in order to make the best buying decisions for our stores and to maintain our ability to keep our retails as low as possible. In both areas, we have employees that we refer to as partners, so I'll refer to them as partners from here on out, that come from the livestock production industries, including our procurement teams. We do this in order to ensure the expectations that we set are achievable, effective, and beneficial to the animals themselves, our vendors, and to our customers.
1: That's great. So I'm sure you'll have a lot to offer us uh, when we're talking about consumers and, and what they're looking for. So today we want to dive into the topic of transparency and what consumers are looking for when they say they need transparency from the food chain. We know it can mean anything from labeling to animal welfare and ingredient sourcing. An ethnography study on consumers and transparency earlier this year that Cheryl led, and we discovered that consumer values and concerns play an important role when they ask for transparency around animal protein. Cheryl, how do consumers define transparency in animal protein, that being meat, milk, eggs, and fish? Who's driving this conversation, and what role do personal values play?
0: Great question. So in our research, we found five key elements from the consumer perspective when it came to transparency as it relates to animal protein. These included top of mind for consumers were nutritional benefits and consumers want true and accurate information when it comes to nutritional claims on labels. They're trying to get better at distinguishing what they see as truthful information from false information. Second, we saw consumers express concern about animal welfare. That is, consumers worry that cattle and poultry in particular are marketed often under an animal welfare label but are not as humanely treated as consumers might like. That said, along those lines, we did see that consumers are somewhat confused about some of these animal welfare labels, like what does grass-fed mean, pasture-raised, and so on. Third for consumers was a concern around ecological impact, and consumers are looking to purchase animal protein from food manufacturers and suppliers that are committed to sustainable, transparent, ethically sourced, and non-wasteful products. So they have a a pretty um, high set of expectations here. Fourth, interestingly, when it comes to transparency, consumers are looking at food safety. They want assurances that their protein is handled safely, and they don't need to worry about things like food poisoning. And then lastly, not surprisingly, given some of the confusion that we saw, consumers are looking for standardized approaches to organic or other forms of labeling. They're looking for some help cutting through the noise or cutting through some of their confusion. So when it comes to consumers' understanding of transparency or their top concerns, we're seeing nutritional benefits, animal welfare, ecological impact, food safety, and standardizing organic Now, who's driving these concerns, or who's really interested in transparency? Well, we found that our consumer who's most engaged in this culture is over-indexing as younger, 18 to 34. We also see that these are typically educated to highly educated, as well as middle to upper class consumers without kids. We're seeing this as a culture being led by younger, well-resourced consumers, Furthermore, we see that these are consumers who are driving these concerns. They're skeptical. They are deeply skeptical. They are part of a culture we might describe as distrustful. And largely, they worry that corporations are really driven by a profit motive. And so, we see a lot of that distrust or skepticism coming through some of the research that we were doing.
1: Well, certainly, that's a long list. There are high expectations, but it pretty much spells out for those of us in the food supply chain, what we need to be looking at and, and what kind of information we are supplying it. It also kind of mirrors some other research that this age group are the millennials and it's a little bit of Gen Z, but these younger folks are coming into the marketplace with purchasing power now and, and they're coming into that marketplace with the sustainability imperative embedded in their, in their psyche because they've grown up talking about sustainability So thanks, Cheryl. Jim, do you see these findings mirroring what you see from consumers in your grocery stores? And how have you seen consumer needs and demands change over the years?
2: So I guess we need to start with, you know, keep in mind that we're strictly in Texas, primarily in Central and South Texas. So we're not nationwide. And we have a very diverse, but a very limited consumer base. So to base these conclusions on, I can tell you that we have heard and see some of the same questions and concerns and needs or demands from a growing number of our consumer groups, but the vast majority still live by the mantra that price is king, quality is very important, and convenience is increasingly driving purchase decisions. One of the things that Cheryl said a minute ago is extremely important, and that is trust. So one of the things is we talk about transparency and what transparency means to consumers is they want to be able to have trust in the people where their food comes from. Keep in mind, 80 to 85 percent or more of the consumers in in the United States today are non-agrarian, meaning they don't have an agricultural background, so they don't know where food comes from. They think chicken or eggs comes from the store. But as we go forward, you know, we've really got to make sure that we're there for them in terms of being able to answer their questions, provide them with facts and with data that they can trust. And that's generally how we've approached this going forward.
1: That's for sure. You know, trust is very important. And that's kind of what we're trying to drill down at here. How can we, in the value chain, provide that information that, that establishes trust with consumers? Jim, we all love technology. We, we get the latest cell phone, but sometimes that technology is not seen in a positive light with consumers when we're related to the farm. We can't raise sustainable food if we don't have technology. Why do you think consumers are so quick to separate those technologies out?
2: You know, one of the things that we need to do as an industry is to tell our story of our scientific advancements a lot better than we have in the past. You know, knowing that to consumers, food is very personal and people need to trust what they're feeding to the children and putting in their bodies. Advocates and other anti-industry opponents are very good at using social media and even movies and television. You know, and they've explored the fact that that the majority of our population is not agrarian. You know. Think about other sciences that we've had like GMO crops and what's happened to those because of perception or because of the snowball effect on social media. We've got to do it better as an industry of of educating consumers. And quite honestly, it needs to start in elementary school and go through junior high and high school and make sure that we're we're putting the voice out there of what we're doing and why we're doing it so consumers can trust it.
1: I agree. And and Jim, do you think we're at a place where we in the food chain, food value chain, understand what consumers mean by transparency? And are we singing from the same hymnal in terms of providing that information to them about how their food is grown and raised?
2: You know, I worry about that to some extent in that we, we sometimes have a hard time separating transparency from traceability. We seem to think that consumers want traceability when, in fact, they really want to know that we as an industry are doing what what's right for the animals, what's right for the environment, what's right for consumers at the same time provide them with food that they can afford to purchase and buy and that we need to all be pulled from the same storyline as an industry and and come together to make sure that you know we have academics, we have scientists, we have production partners all basically giving the same message.
1: I agree and if we could all come together to tell the story from the farm to the table that might be really helpful and and might help bridge that gap, you know, between the farm and the table. So on the flip side of consumer values is skepticism and fear. Cheryl touched on this a little bit. We learned from our transparency ethnography that consumers are driven by the need to make the right decisions. and, And Cheryl talked about that too, particularly when it comes to food and their health. Jim, you also mentioned that food is personal. And they're also driven to make the right decisions based on skepticism and fear. They're they're worried about food safety. They're skeptical of production practices. They're worried about animal welfare. They're worried about what's on the label and what's not on the label. Cheryl, can you talk about what the ethnography showed from the perspective of consumer skepticism and fears about food?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what's interesting to me is... In culture generally, we've seen this growing distrust among consumers. And we see this really come to the fore when we look at the food system. And I think it's in part because there's a bit of confusion. We've talked a bit about transparency. But part of this is also this notion for these consumers that you know, corporations don't necessarily exist to make the world a better place. These consumers believe, in any case, that large corporations are really driven by the profit motive and will do whatever it takes to make that money. So we see, again, there's that distrust there, and we need to work to gain consumers' trust. And throughout our ethnography, we saw that consumers were looking for, again, those reasons to believe, but they were looking beyond the corporation. They're looking beyond the food producer. In fact, they're looking to those third-party sources of verification. I mentioned they're a little bit confused about some of those labels, but despite that confusion, consumers are looking... Again, for a source they can trust to give them the real deal to cut through what they see as marketing or false information. And some of the labels that came up were things like animal welfare approved, certified B corporations, the Forest Stewardship Council. So again, consumers are looking to find reasons to trust, and I think transparency is part of that. But furthermore, we also saw that the distrust goes a step further in the fact that consumers want to see enforcement of rules and regulations. They want assurances that these labels are enforced. And consumers worry that they actually don't have the information that they need to make fully informed decisions. And when they're lacking information, that in and of itself can contribute to this feeling of distrust or this feeling of fear. I mean, we mentioned some of their concerns around transparency are food safety as well as nutrition. So they have their health and well-being in mind here, as well as the environment in animal
1: welfare. For sure, for sure. So Reasons to Believe once again comes up again. Jim, where are grocery retailers at on this subject? How are you helping consumers through transparency? And are you using third-party verifications?
2: We do not use third-party verifications that much. We do have some, but the majority of what we've done to build trust is the fact that we've assembled a team of people from the industry or with industry knowledge to perform those on our own. We do that for several reasons. One, because when we're in the plant or we're, we're on the farm, that's HEB and we're representing HEB and the, and the producers really get a feeling that they're producing for us and for our consumers. And that seems to resonate with our consumer groups. You know, most retailers right now, and we're no different, are rapidly evolving our online presence to include pages on sustainability efforts or, or standards. But from our consumers, what we've done is we've, we've actually opened up a line of communication where if you submit a claim or a question, you're going to get a phone call. Or you're gonna get an email, or you're gonna be contacted in some way with someone who actually knows the industry and knows the answer. If not, we'll find the answer for you. So, if you know anything about HEB, we've really worked hard to to build that trust, and I think a lot of retailers are doing the same thing.
1: That's great, and I I love it that you know you can submit a question and you'll get a phone call. That doesn't happen in very many industries these days. Cheryl, our ethnography also found that consumers are wary of labels that focus on what's not in the meat dairy or meat product like low-fat or low-sodium? Why is that?
0: That's another great question. And part of it is because consumers are increasingly savvy. They have some history. They're knowing more about nutrition. They're learning more about... Often when we take something out, we put something else in. So sometimes consumers worry that if it's low-fat... Great, it's low fat, but what has been added to deliver the flavor or to deliver that that satisfaction that they get from that product? So they're wary because they worry that a label saying something that's not in there means there's some kind of hidden or ingredient they might not otherwise be aware of that may not be so good for them either. And so again, this was coming out of the context of concerns about nutrition. And so again, we see that that consumers are looking to safeguard their health. And in order to do so, they feel like they need that, that full information. And also, I mean, historically, there are some examples where a low fat food was, you know, sugar was added or salt was added. And so again, consumers... They have longer memories, you know, they're, they're aware, you know, of, of some of the, the trends and fads that have taken place over the years, and it makes them a little bit more concerned. They're also aware that marketing can be quite uh, sophisticated, and they're responding in turn by becoming increasingly savvy and, and more sophisticated in how they're approaching labels, how they're reading labels, and how they're trying to learn how to decode a label.
1: Sure. And when we're talking about an audience that when you're talking about millennials and Gen Zs, they've grown up with technology in their hands. So it's not like back in the day when you had a question, you had to look it up in the encyclopedia or go to the library. You know, they've grown up in that instant gratification world of instant information. Jim, sometimes it feels like we can't win. There's only so much information that will fit on the label. What are you seeing from your consumers and what do they want?
2: You know, like Cheryl said, it really comes down to trust. And consumers want to be able to trust that the industry is doing the right thing and that the labeling is clear and straightforward. If they have questions, they won't be able to get easy answers. Thank goodness for Google, right? Over the years, the industry's made or taken advantage of vague terms as a form of simplification, you know, natural flavorings, those types of things. And one of the things that I've always supported is or believed in is that the best policy when making a label decision is if in the back of your mind, you say, well, we can get away with doing that, then you probably shouldn't. And so (laughs) that's becoming more and more true over time.
1: Right. Okay, so moving on, I mentioned some contradictory statistics at the top of the podcast that indicate that consumers may not be putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak. They want a lot of things, but they may not be voting with their wallet when they're grocery shopping. Jim, what kind of data are you seeing at the retail level that suggests the better for labels consumers say they want? You know, better for me and my family, better for the animal, et cetera during a focus group may not be what's making it onto the conveyor belt in the checkout lane.
2: Probably the easiest question you've asked all day. All retailers track sales and sales drives what we carry, what we merchandise and how we merchandise it. And and I can say for us, based on our consumer base or customer base, that price is king. As you said before, quality is very important and convenience is highly rated and is growing exponentially. So, you know, we're having to keep all those top of mind as we start to, to build our cases and our displays and how we merchandise things going forward.
1: Right, right. Cheryl, from your perspective, do you think these consumers that, that we're seeing that are vocal and kind of leading these conversations, do you think that they'll understand and accept trade-offs? For example, we can't become more sustainable or meet the growing food demand while we're only offering organic or antibiotic-free protein options. Do you think they'll accept trade-offs? And adjust their values, maybe? Yeah, I mean, that's a an excellent question. And I mean,
0: I think there's a, a couple groups of consumers. So thinking a little bit beyond the ethnography that we did together and, and thinking about some of the other research we've been doing at MotiveBase, But what we've been seeing is in addition to these demands for increased transparency and sustainability and animal welfare, is many of these consumers, I mean, I often say this, they want their cake and they want to eat it, too, in the sense that they want sustainability to be more accessible to more people. So we often get asked from our clients, like, why won't people pay more for sustainability or why won't more people pay more for sustainability? And it's partly because the folks who are really engaged around sustainability expect some of these changes to be taking place for the betterment of us and and the planet and the animals. And then they're also deeply concerned about equality. Many of the lead consumers that we looked in our ethnography, I would suspect, will make some trade-offs. You know, maybe they'll give up on some of those coffees out in order to buy more sustainable food. But, you know, the average consumer would probably like to see more sustainable offerings at affordable price points. And I know that's a challenge for us because often sustainable offerings require more inputs or cost more to produce. So, I mean, at the end of the day, though, consumers are constantly making trade-offs. We can't always act according to our values. Sometimes there are external constraints. We've seen this in the COVID context, many people being forced to act against their values. And I think the answer kind of depends on how, how much our price is going to go up. But nonetheless, the, the most committed consumers will make those trade-offs. They'll sacrifice convenience. They'll sacrifice price. Some of them might even sacrifice flavor in order to eat according to their values. But that's a smaller group of consumers. And again, I I, I think it might be helpful to point out here that in the study that we did, we saw that this notion of transparency in the context of animal protein was really, really relevant to 30 million consumers out of about 190 million Americans between the ages of 18 and 74. So again, I think we just need to put that in perspective. And I think a lot of what Jim is saying is absolutely true. Price is still top of mind for the vast majority of consumers, as is convenience. But we're at a stage where these concerns about transparency they're in that early consensus stage. They're not totally mainstream, but we are anticipating to see a lot of growth around these concerns and therefore something to continue to think about over the long term and for the future of the industry.
1: Sure. And, and you know, if we didn't think that times were challenging enough with the global pandemic now with um, inflation and, and our economic uh, outlook, it's it's making it even tougher just to keep a meal on the table for some families. So
2: you know, Jane, though, one of the things that, that we're looking at or we're talking to as an industry, at least on the, on the beef side, I can tell you, is how can we get the pay in place? In other words, how can we take from sustainable, instead of talking about more sustainable products or a program-type product, how can we take sustainable practices and apply them across the industry and bring the whole industry up, reduce input, pay for cost, and have a positive impact on our environment versus having a pathway to a program and versus a, a journey to more success.
1: Right. And how could we make that happen?
2: You know, that, that again, we're going to have to figure it out in my opinion. You know, if we think about what's the more sustainable product in the cells are today, they're very, very low and it's a very limited demographic, but as our consumers expect us as with food safety, and with animal welfare, it's the ticket to be at the table. In other words, it's expected that we're going to do the right thing for the right reasons and for them, for their children, for the environment and moving forward and for their pocketbooks. And so to do that, we're going to have to buckle down and and really figure that out. And how can we take elements of these program systems and put them into modern day production?
1: Yeah. And that's that's a great idea. And if we can all Join hands and, and buckle down, as you say, to figure out how we can implement sustainable, more sustainable practices across the supply chain. That would be awesome. At the same time, are retailers united in transparency messaging? Are we all delivering the same messages to consumers, do you think?
2: Uh, can I just say no and just leave it at that? Yeah. <laughs> No. And we've got some guys out there that are trying to grab headlines. That helps grow market share, that helps their investor bases feel better about what they're doing. But the reality is, is that I don't know anybody's telling the whole story right now yet. And our vendor groups, if you've never not been involved with any vendors, they're doing an amazing job at trying to become more sustainable, saving water, using alternative forms of electricity. The work they're doing with trying to capture greenhouse gases without flaring them off and creating more carbon it is really impressive. And so I think that's the story we need to be telling versus what a retailer is doing.
1: Right. And that's more challenging than, than the average person may think it is to do those things. So as we bring today's conversation to a close, what final thoughts might you like to share with our listeners? Cheryl, we'll start with you and then Jim, you can bring us home.
0: Great. Yeah, I just I just wanted to say that, you know, doing this ethnography together has been really eye opening. I also think what's what's exciting for me and I'm in a lucky position because I am like, you know, the consumers you mentioned who aren't really familiar with agriculture. We're very, very removed from the farm. Um, In fact, many of us take our food sourcing for granted So, I mean, I I think bringing the farm to the table is a great idea. You know, I'm really lucky in the sense that I have opportunities to have these conversations with people in the industry so I get a better understanding of what actually goes on. You know, sometimes I think, would there be a way for us to do that with consumers? And again, I loved Jim's example where if you call the helpline or you call and have a complaint, someone will actually call you back. They'll be able to talk you through, give you the answers to your questions, and I again it's it's hard to scale that but at the same time i i think that's such a great approach to customer service and also to helping consumers really understand what takes place on the farm again because We're in a position, many of us, where we don't actually have to think about it. Um, So, again, um, again, I like the idea of the QR codes that Jim mentioned, again, bringing the information to consumers, as well as using videos and social media to meet consumers where
1: they're at. I love that. Jim, what about you?
2: Well, th- thanks again for having me today. Um, it's been experience <laughs> prepping for this and having it. I really do think that, that we're seeing a, a, a trend where we're all going to work together. We're all going to try to work to educate consumers. We do have to feed the world. We do have to, you know, we're going to have to figure out this sustainability and environmental stewardship and animal welfare as a, as an industry. And how do we gain that trust to our consumers and continue to grow going forward?
1: I agree. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation today, and I hope our listeners have discovered ways that they can advance transparency to meet consumer needs. Thank you, Cheryl and Jim, for joining me today on Caring for Animals and Creating Trust as we explored consumer transparency in the food value chain. Thank you also to our listeners, and we'll see you again next month.